Hi, it's Amy Siskin of The Weekly List and author of the book, The List, and welcome to episode 150 of The Weekly List Podcast. This is the 16th segment in a section called Democracy at Risk. Welcome. So today we're going to have a midterm postmortem and a rather joyous one, I'm happy to say. A year ago on this podcast and on the website, theweeklylist.org, I had posted an article called, I Sounded the Alarm for Authoritarianism in 2016, and I am sounding it again. Now, in that article and described in the podcast back in that segment, I had talked about my concern with what I could see Trump was doing ahead of the midterm election by trying to install loyalists in key battleground states that if they won in the midterm election, would be in a position to help him overturn the 2024 election. In other words, he was going to take lessons learned from 2020 and his attempted coup in these key battleground states and be in a position to execute next time. Well, we're going to talk about the results and some happy news for how things went in this midterm election. But before we get to that, just for the history books, because this is an archive of our time, I want to talk about the weeks and the months setting up for this election. First of all, more than 100 lawsuits were filed in the weeks and months before the election. The suits were largely filed by Republicans, and their goal was to target rules about mail-in voting, early voting, voter access, voting machines, voter registration, and counting of mismarked ballots. It's the most litigation in our country's history before an election. Democrats countered many of these suits and litigated in 19 different states 40 different cases. There were major victories. For example, in Arizona, it was well reported that there were armed militia kind of looking folks hanging out by Dropbox. So when people went to to drop off their ballots, it was intimidating. There was a lawsuit filed by the League of Women Voters, all entities, and they won. And that was prohibited. Uh, Democrats or Democrat-led or or voter rights groups uh, fought back in several states and won victories to try to make voting more accessible, easier, and help those denied a chance uh, to get a chance to vote through legal hotlines and volunteers. In addition to those kind of efforts, there were concerns voiced by heads of civil rights groups like the NAACP president, Derek Johnson, who had said ahead of the election, he was, quote, extremely concerned that black people would be disenfranchised by voter intimidation or other voter suppression tactics. The U.S. intelligence agencies, weeks before the election, issued a bulletin roughly 11 days before the election, warning of heightened threats of domestic violent extremism that might target elected officials, election workers, or voter places. So heading into this election, a lot of people were scared. If you were listening to the radio on your car drives, or if you were tuned on to TV, 
it was unavoidable to hear the media cover what were the risks to voting. There was a sense of fear. And that was very much by design. It was very well organized by many far-right groups to try to put things in place either to limit voting or to make Democrats scared to show up and vote. Well, as it turned out, unlike 2020 uh, and the other cover page picture of the Weekly List website where you saw what happened on January 6th in the aftermath, as well as during that election, um, voting went smoothly. And results came in and, uh, you know, other than Trump and his craziness and some of his candidates' craziness, pretty much without a peep. So I want to review more specifically in that article I had cited in the beginning of the podcast that is a year ago, I warned about the six states that Trump was going to try to target. And I couldn't be more happy where we sit today with how things went. We still have two races that have yet to be called because they're extremely close, but we know enough to say that the election deniers that Trump tried to install ahead of a potential coup in 2024 failed. Let's start off off with Michigan, which if you've followed this podcast is the state I was the most concerned about. That of all the states in 2020 was the closest that Trump came to overturning a result. In Michigan, all three of the candidates running as Democrats won as governor, attorney general, and secretary of state. The icing of the cake, there was an abortion. Abortion was on the ballot in that state. And it turned out voters. And not only did the three Democrats win in those top slots, they also, in that state, Democrats took back the state legislature, both their House and their state Senate for the first time in 40 years. Michigan is completely blue. It backfired there. It also backfired in Pennsylvania, where the Democrat won in the governor race. We've talked about Pennsylvania before, where in that state, the governor appoints the secretary of state, so both will be Democrats. The attorney general, that race isn't until 2024. Also in Pennsylvania, because of the large turnout and concerns about democracy and abortion concerns as well, uh, Pennsylvania's assembly turned blue for the first time in decades. In Wisconsin, the governor role and the attorney general were both won by Democrats. The secretary of state should be decided soon, but so far the Democrat is leading there. In Arizona, a state which got loads of attention with an election denier running both for um, the Senate as well as the governor and a very vocal candidate election denier running for governor, she lost. The Democrat won control of the governorship in Arizona that previously was held by a Republican. Uh, Democrats also won the Secretary of State role and the Attorney General role where we sit today, too close to be called, the Democrat is slightly in front. In Nevada, we did lose the governor's seat, but we won the Attorney General and Secretary of State, ensuring that state will be in good hands and beating election deniers there. 
And finally, Georgia, which was the only state where this was a little bit unusual, all the election deniers that Trump ran lost in their primaries to Republicans. Uh, the Republicans that, as you'll recall, in 2020 did not bend to Trump's will and find the 11,781 votes. So while Georgia is still in Republican hands and for the governor, secretary of state, and attorney general, uh, those folks seem to be obeying democracy. Also, there's ongoing litigation in that state around the 2020 election in Fulton County for criminal charges for election interference that might rope in Trump and allies such as Lindsey Graham, who will be testifying, and other key Republicans. So, all in all, eight races where election deniers would have direct role in certifying 2024 results. Seven have lost already, and the Arizona Attorney General has yet to be called, but again, that looks like it will also go blue. So amazing results, amazing work, because if you would listen to the pollsters, if you would listen to the prognosticators, if you would listen to the Republicans, all of them were warning of a red wave that not only would Democrats lose the House, lose the Senate, that we would lose key races, that we would lose the remaining state legislatures that we had, that all the seats we just discussed would go into red hands. There was real talk of Armageddon. That, folks, did not materialize. In fact, as it turned out, Democrats have retained control of the Senate potentially will even get to 51, pending on a runoff in Georgia. In the House, Trump-backed allies that had ties to QAnon conspiracies or were election deniers, three names that we've all become well-known. Marjorie Taylor Greene, who had won her race in a very red district, uh, was, did five points less well in this election than last time. Laura Boebert, who had won by plus eight in her last election, is now close to a runoff or potentially losing to a Democrat. Her race is almost tied. And J.R. Majeski, who had won by three points, lost by 15 points, excuse me, 13 points in a redrawn district. So all in all, the Trump candidates that were put up that were extremists, for the most part, with the exception of Indiana, where there was an election denier, deep red Indiana, uh, all of them lost. There are election deniers who won in deep red states, but they're not in positions of power to overturn 2024 in key battleground states. And that, as you know, was my major concern. It was a short shot across the bow to Republicans and a wake-up call. This is now the third election in a row that they have lost. Uh, even if they take the House versus expectations of what you would expect for a midterm election, when Democrats are in power and hold the presidency, House, and the Senate, history would tell us that Republicans would be expecting big headwinds, especially with the economy somewhat weakened. Uh, but that exact opposite came through. And two things were at play. 
course, the Hobbs decision, which we've talked about, which overturned abortion rights. But as well, there was real concern from Americans about democracy. And the nature of some of the candidates running, these extremists, were unpalatable to Americans, to independent voters. And Americans showed up in many states, had huge turnouts for midterms, even beating 2018. People came out to vote to reject extremism on the right, to reject a potential coup of our democracy, that this was not okay. That was a thorough repudiation of Trump and the people that he put forth. And it leaves the Republican Party grappling with what is next. We've been talking in this podcast about how the Republican Party had been subsumed by Trump and basically become the Trump Republican Party. But as we exit this election, I'm happy to say that that is no longer the case. GOP leaders are blaming Trump for elevating weak and extreme candidates who struggled. And even though Trump got on, he's no longer on Twitter, although that might change with the new ownership with Elon Musk, but he got on Trump social the whole night of 2022 election sent 20 messages starting that afternoon, raising the false prospect of election fraud, uh, increasing focus on Nevada and Arizona as vote counting went on there into the weekend. No one listened to him. It didn't catch fire this time. Our country did not let it catch fire this time. So that, folks, is progress. Last night, roughly a week after the election, Trump announced in another speech that he was running for re-election in the 2024 election. He announced it at Mar-a-Lago, and he was surrounded by, as the New York Times put it, um, used-to-be's and has-beens, such as the the disgraced former Congressman Madison Cawthorn, who lost his Republican primary, Roger Stone, the pillow guy, uh, reportedly even Ivanka and Jared. Javanka, don't want to be involved this time. Billionaire donors announced today that they won't back Trump this time. And his speech, which I have to be honest with you, I couldn't even listen after a minute. You know, the first time when he ran, he was entertaining. No one took him seriously, but he was able to speak in a populism kind of way. Then it became very racist, but in a way that was new. And that gripped people. Now he just sounds like a carnival barker going on and on with the same you know, stream of lies and falsehoods. And I listen, folks, I do not think it's happening this time. We're going to talk about that in future podcasts. I'm not concerned about Trump. I would like him to stay in long enough to destroy DeSantis and some of the other people running. Um, but he doesn't have the same hold either on the American people or on his party as he did back then. This third election, losing this, has thrown the Republican Party into disarray, and they have a chance to take their shot and get rid of him. And before we speak next, that could well be possible. But as you know, me, the glass half full person always feels, you know, like things look better 
And after this election, I have to say, it feels like we've moved into the seventh inning of our battle with authoritarianism. In addition to what's happening in our country, Bolsonaro in Brazil fell in an election and left office. Putin's invasion of Ukraine is failing. Democracies around the world are uniting. Could we be at a better place in our battle against authoritarianism coming out of midterms? I believe we are. And I have to tell you, a lot of you were so concerned. A lot of you weren't sleeping the nights and weeks ahead of the midterms. I did think it would be better than the pundits were warning. But I am still surprised at how well we did, in fact. It turns out Americans really do care about our democracy. It turns out that that is an issue that drives people to the polls. It turns out that young people really will turn out to vote if you take away their right to choose. And they do care about other matters in our country. And thank you to Gen Z for showing up in this election. So where that leaves us now, we'll have to see how things play out and we'll be of course following it, but we're in a far better place where we sit today than where we sat a year ago, a month ago, two weeks ago. So, Take heart in your fellow Americans and their care for our country and its well-being and our ongoing democracy and remaining that way. It seems that most people reject the extremists on both sides and want our country to start healing and to be moving forward instead of dividing, which is what we've been in now for the last six exhausting years. So let's start on that path, folks. I'll work together towards that end. Until the next time, stay well, catch your breath, rest up, recharge, but don't look away. The battle continues. 